Welcome to Courage Incorporated, produced by the Walrus Lab. Join me as we engage courageous and powerful leaders from the world of business and public policy who are directing the future of their organizations, industries, and countries with courage. I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. Today's guest is a proud entrepreneur and philanthropist who has shown incredible courage and leadership in giving back to the community as a new Canadian and a business owner. In 2007, Dr. Mohamed Fakhi founded the Middle Eastern restaurant chain Paramount Fine Foods, which has rapidly expanded across North America and internationally. He has become well known for his charitable work and community service, as well as his commitment to hiring those who are new to Canada and now call it home. Recently, he was named to the Order of Canada for his business and community leadership, as well as his philanthropic contributions. Mohammed says, if you give more, you get more back. And I believe him. The pandemic has been particularly challenging for the restaurant industry. And Mohammed has adopted a courageous and compassionate approach to giving back to the community by advocating for the restaurant industry and finding new ways to innovate. He launched Canada's first fully automated safe restaurant and donated thousands of meals to food banks, shelters, and people in need, as well as frontline healthcare workers. I have long admired his dedication to both business and the community, and it is an honor to have you share your story. Thank you for joining us, Mohammed. Welcome to Courage Incorporated. You're a CEO, a recipient of an honorary doctorate from Ryerson University, and the founder of the Fakhi Foundation, a nonprofit international organization. You've served as a representative of the United Nations Refugee Agency for Canada and empower vulnerable communities through entrepreneurship, leadership, and a true focus on inclusion. Can you please take us through your journey from Lebanon to Canada and highlighting the challenges you faced as an immigrant in a new country? Well, thank you very much, uh, Duncan, and thanks for having me. Uh, I grew up in Lebanon during the Civil War. I uh, lived during uh, the time where half of our days and nights were in bunkers. Uh, I've been, while I was growing up, I've been a refugee many times where my parents would pick us up all and the family and leave to another town in Lebanon or across the border in Syria just to keep us safe. Uh, at 16 years old, I left my family and I went to Italy to study gemology. So basically I'm a gemologist that sells shawarma for a living. And uh, I studied there until I got my degree. And then I went back to Lebanon to try again, uh, to live there and try to start a business. After six months from that, the war restarted again and conflict made it impossible for me to stay there. So I came to Canada to visit a friend of mine, landed here. I saw the cold. I was worried about how cold it was. Uh, I left again after three weeks, then I decided to move back here for good. I landed with nothing in my pocket, uh, right here in Pearson airport, $1,200 in my pocket and lived in a basement shared apartment with three other people in, you know, had to work for free, worked in coffee time to make living. Uh, I worked for free in a jewelry store because they wouldn't hire me for money because I didn't have Canadian experience. And as you know, I advocate against those ideas now because I truly believe that, you know, international experiences are as worthy if it's not even sometimes better and depend on the, on the field. And that immigrant come here with a lot of grit and that grit is needed in our businesses. 
And, you know, coming here as a Muslim, someone with the name Muhammad with heavy accent, wasn't easy for me, right? And that's where I started. And slowly uh, I met a lady that I was trying to sell her a watch. And I decided to be honest with her. She believed in me. She supported me in a jewelry store in Sherway Garden. She gave, it, she gave me sweat equity uh, in the business. And one day my wife called me and she wanted a kilo baklava. So I, and she said to go to this place, Paramount in Dixie and Eglinton. Mm. I couldn't find that place behind the police station and semi-jail kind of. It's more good for a, for a body shop than an actual restaurant or a bakery. I walked in. Had a conversation with the owner, and he has seen something written about me that I've done a renovation on the house, and he asked me for a loan, and uh, that turned to me buying the business. Uh, didn't know how to fry an egg when I got into the restaurant business. The place needed a renovation, but I really wanted to help the people that they were there. I always believed that Canadian has helped me a lot, and I want to help them, and. I turned it around, started renovating, welcoming people on the table. It was a mess for me. I didn't know anything about the restaurant. So I had to count on my employee. And after one location and turning it from $40,000 sales a month to $40,000 a week, I thought, this is it. I'm going to expand it. So I went and I opened one in uh, Young and Steel's. was a mess. I was losing money every single day. I ran out of cash. The money was being made in Mississauga, was lost in Thornhill. So I had another decision to make, and that was run backward or run forward. And I had no other option but running forward. I went to friends and I borrowed some money, and I opened my young and Dundas location. And it was like one of those moments to please be good. Please be good. Like it wasn't, I, I took my friend's money, and now I'm losing in the second location and the money that's being made in Mississauga wasn't enough. And since day one was a great location. And from there we went to Hamilton and London. And now we're 80, over 80 locations worldwide. And I'm very proud to take a company from nothing to take it internationally. Hopefully we do not only send a message that immigrant story is the real story is good for everyone, but as well, Canadian brand could go across the world and we could expand them. And not only American brand will come here and take away from us business, we actually could go to the United States and show them that Canadian can do great businesses too. Well, and, and I completely agree with you that there's there's so much that we do in this country that that would be so powerful to take beyond our borders. And it is an inspiring story, Mohammed. And I'm curious, who sort of inspired you along the way as you had all of these sort of choices to make that, that gave you the courage to do that? Your questions are great. Uh, Duncan, look, my life has always been around, based on people in a lot of ways. And to me, I've been always, because of my life and the way I started at, in the war, I was very inspired by my parents because I saw them despite the war and how scary it was. They used to be in the street, donating, helping others. And they used to help even when they needed it themselves. And I learned a lot. I, lo I learned even from the older people in Beirut that my, our neighbors and their their persistence and their resilience that, like, and I'll never forget my dad used to to build. He was a builder. And and as soon as the war stops for a couple of days, he'll go and start fixing your stuff. And I'm like, 
why the war is still going? He'll say, what, what if a customer came in between <laughs> from the first war and the ceasefire and after the ceasefire? So I learned that and I, I was very inspired by Canadian smiles. People like with a smile, they made me feel like an, a citizen more than an immigrant and they made me feel welcome and they made me feel accepted. And I used to be so happy when I, like I literally used to walk from my basement more often just to get that smile because he used to encourage me to do more. And the people I worked with and I worked for and the people that I employed, they used to inspire me. Like their grit inspired me. Them wanting to make a difference inspired me. So that had made my life much, much better, right? So they are all an inspiration. And of course, my whole life, my my parents, uh, Hazel McCallion inspired me when she walked into Paramount and she said, you kid will be one thing, something important one day. And I'm like, I barely can afford my bills. And she said, no, it's your heart. It's the way you think about people. Like you bought this restaurant to help those 16 family living from this restaurant. And and, and, and I truly appreciate that. Uh, look, I, forever I'll be dedicated to Canada and to Canadian. I love this country. I love its people. They have made me who I am and forever I'll give back. You know, our research shows that Canada could increase its labor force by almost 1.7 million workers by eliminating barriers facing underrepresented groups looking to enter or advance in the workplace. Immigrants are a critical source of talent needed to help our workforce and our economy grow and especially grow after this pandemic. I'm curious, what are the most significant barriers to immigrants who want to enter or advance in the Canadian workforce from your point of view? And and what role do business leaders and policymakers have in eliminating those barriers? Well, they do have a huge role. We're all leaders. Even our employees are leaders. And uh, waiting for political leader to make decision is the wrong thing to do and lacks leadership itself. And look, there remains the systemic prejudice against immigrants in the work of workforce and against minority and and we can talk and say well, as much as we like and talk about diversity and inclusion right but as long as CEOs and the people that hires in our companies and in our government continue asking about this Canadian experience and how long you've been in Canada and it's too soon for me to hire you because we're an importing company <laughs> like like I mean you shouldn't hire only for skill, you hire for attitude. And what's better than the attitude of an immigrant? What's better of an attitude that someone that came to this country to rebuild their life? One, they're very appreciative. They'll protect our country. They'll be very loyal to the people that gave them an opportunity. And two, it's good for everyone in the company because when you give an opportunity to someone to help a newcomer, right, to bring them into your company, it's not only good for the immigrant and the newcomer, it's good for the person that helped them. And then the newcomer come and the immigrant come with so much regret and that they, your, your, your original employee that they were there before them, they need to keep up and that productivity will become better, right? And it'll give a lot of appreciation for the people that they feel comfortable. We feel comfortable sometime in our life, but when we hear someone else's story and we see them closely and doesn't, it's not necessary that we're better than them, but they have less opportunities, right? We realize and we appreciate what we have. We love more our country and we give bigger opportunity to people in our country. And when we all do that, Canada will be will be better for it, for sure. All of us will be better for it. Even economically will be better for it. So CEO need to get over this idea of Canadian experience and how long you've been in Canada. Because that should not be I would I would say 
humanely should not be allowed. And who said our experiences are better than international experience? And how boring it is if we hire from the same pool of experiences. We actually making a big mistake. I mean, I think it's we're di- we're disadvantaging our own country by doing that as CEO. So, I think our workforce should look like our street, and not only at lower level job, unfortunately, at the highest job in the land. And we need to make sure that everybody's represented on the table, and we need to really make sure that we do that all of us together and make it a point for a bit that no. Uh, our boardroom should look our, like our streets and our parliament should look like our streets, right? So we need to celebrate people when they do that. And we send the message that you're only going to be celebrated when you are up, when your boardroom is representing everyone and our parliament represent everyone. Otherwise, we're going to miss the point. Like a lot of media say, how come people aren't interested to read article anymore? Because you got rid of a lot of minorities writing. And those people has very important stories. And the rest of the stories become boring. That's why you're not selling enough. Bring in those stories. Those stories are interesting. And and I think the government has a lot to do as well. I mean, uh, with doing that. But, you know, I always believe that CEO can do more. And they can actually demand the government from doing more. This idea that CEO should stay out of the public affairs that does not include or involve their company is the biggest mistake. CEO should get involved, should weigh in, and should be part of why politic- politicians are making decisions because without these companies, they won't get the fundraising support. <laughs> and if they want the money, we should put our foot down and help the government. CEOs do better business than people who's governing, and we should be able to help them to do better jobs. And Mohammed, I, I completely agree with you that there is a, a genuine partnership between business and post-secondaries and public policy in terms of how we can create a much more inclusive society. And, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, I personally found amazing was the work that you did with Magnet and Ryerson University around the employment of Syrian refugees. And, and you know, for, for the people listening to this podcast, it's true that Deloitte's written about that in the past because it was in our mind a great example of what courage looked like in our country. And as you've sort of seen the outcome of that and future things you've done, going back on that, how how do you feel about that experience today? And, and what was in your mind at the time saying we need to do this? I mean, it's always on my mind, number one is people. And two, never forget where you came from, right? I was an immigrant myself. I was a refugee and I was in a war. So like I was like them. And very important to set an example to others. A lot of immigrants come here, they succeed, and they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to speak up. They don't want to get involved because they're worried about losing what they already secure, they secured. I wanted to send a message that, no, your job starts when you become successful and when you're able to help others. does not end there. And we promised to hire 100 Syrian refugees, and we hired more. And they were amazing. And some of them went and opened shawarma places and people were coming to me and say, but that's a competition. It's not a competition when you look at the bigger picture. When your title is in the right place, when these people are coming out and advertising the Middle Eastern food better, it's better for us all. And despite the fact, the bottom line is not only dollar. The bottom line is what you've done in your life and the legacy you're going to leave behind. And the bottom line is, you we do what we do all to make sure that our parents are proud of us and our kids look look up to us. And that cannot be the Canadian dream, a selfish dream. That's 
mostly I would say we're wrong to always talk about the American dream. It's the white picket fence. It's about dividing people. It's about the rich and, and making everyone working for themselves. Our Canadian dream is a dream that join everyone, include everyone, and not think only about yourself. And if I'm going to get a thousand dollars less sales a month, and there is another Syrian family that opened a shawarma place, and that's going to change their life, I'm so happy to have that happening. So no, like helping others was a setting an example, was an amazing experience. And now we're doing the same thing with the Afghani recipe. And I'll do it again and I'll encourage anyone to do it. Helping others does not only help the people that you're helping, it helps you. It helps you feel better. It takes me out a lot of time from those dark moments. And it makes me feel that my existence is beyond just the bottom line of dollar in the bank. And it makes me feel like I have no chance not to continue succeeding because my success means helping other people. Well, and, and certainly, Mohammed, as you talk about how we as Canadians need to feel proud of our country and proud of our society, I, I think many of us, you know, wake up believing that we're part of a diverse and progressive society. And yet, you know, systemic and violent racism has persisted in Canada. In March of 2021, Stats Canada reported that hate crimes were on the rise, targeting Muslims, Blacks, the Jewish community. And as someone who's shown incredible courage in overcoming obstacles related to, to racism and prejudice, what more do Canadian leaders in business and government need to do to combat racism openly and really work to being a much more inclusive society? It's very dear to my heart because this is something that I went through a lot of pain, me and my family. You know, I, I almost thought I was blessed to go through that because, you know, you're usually blessed and you're given to have the money and have the power and have the voice is to use them for the right thing, not to use them only for yourself. And that put me on the spot where I had to make a decision that if that happens to a family that can't afford to fight the fight, what would they do? And I'll tell you, majority of Canadians are good. They're good people. The haters are much less than the good people in our country. Canadian aren't racist. And that small percentage is only feeling empowered because of our silence. Our silence is showing them that they can keep doing what they're doing or do more because we're sending that message. And what I try to do and is to secure a judgment, to secure a precedence, for all of us Canadians, when we want to fight hate, we should fight hate all the time, every minute, every second. Because by fighting hate, we're defending our Canadian dream. And our Canadian dream is alive. Let's not confuse what's happening in the media and those trollers on social media. There are not many. The Canadians are the best people on, in the world. I've traveled a lot. We have the best country on earth. We need to protect it by speaking out screaming, shouting from the rooftops that hate will never win in our country. And don't let one incident go by without calling it out and use everything we can to stop hate in our country. Otherwise, we will all regret it. We will all fail for our next generation. We have a legacy to leave and our legacy should be to hand our country in a better shape than we took it from the people that came before us to the next generation leader. And I'm very proud to be part of that fight. And I would never back off from that fight. I'll always take it on. Well, and Mohammed, you know, what, what I find inspiring about this whole conversation is that you, you clearly have a personal set of values and a purpose that you sort of bring to all the things that you do in your life and how you think about it. And, and there's a lot that's written 
you know, right now about purpose-led organizations. I think you're really articulating what that means. And if you were going to give advice to other leaders of Canadian business and government about how to really focus on supporting your community, focusing on the good of your people, and at the same time, I mean, you are a successful business person and you can talk very eloquently about how you manage the, the business that you're running. The example of how you continue to bring that together every day, can you just talk a little bit more about how you do that? Well, I mean, <laughs> I always say profit should be as a destination for businesses. And how do you get to profit? You get to profit by having a great business idea, having the right staff, provide them with the right tool and having the community to buy into it, right? But if you want the community to buy into anything, you need to be good to the community. And people, your customers, your consumers, they can understand and they feel when you're not good to your team. They sense it. They sense the that sense of not seeing your team happy. It means that you're not treating them well. And you can't do that, right? The bottom line here, and the most important is profit is a destination. And for me, I get there by putting my people first. A lot of people stop me in the street and say, Muhammad, customer comes first. Customer always, always comes first. Be careful. Customer comes first. No, customer do not come first for CEO. Our staff should come first. And let me tell you something about giving back to the community. When you support the staff and hire from the community, when you give back money to the community and support its most vulnerable, the customer will support you. So don't do it for the reason that it's the most profitable, that it's the profitable thing to do is not only the right thing. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it is the right thing to do for your business. Today, you need to make a choice. Is your company going to be a training center for other company that puts people first? Because that's what I do. People leave company that train them to come to Pema because they need more and they demand more today. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And there's nothing bigger than being part of a company that helps the community and it's there for the community. So the CEOs has decision. And like you see, shareholders are demanding for CEOs to do more for the community now because they believe that it's not only that I think to do, it's the profitable thing. And it's continuous switching staff costs money. So to every CEO listening to this, if you want to save your company, if you want to make profit, have a line inside your p a kinder capitalism line that comes right under the sales. It's not just a nice thing to do. If you want your sale to be steady and you want to get the support of the community nonstop and continue growing, just be kind. Be kind to your staff, be kind to your community, and the sales will come and the profit will fall. Mohammed, we've talked a lot about your values. We've talked a lot about how that's driven the decisions you've made around your business. But as every entrepreneur who starts out in life has a family and makes these courageous choices, there's also got to be the family side of this for you. I mean, you have been criticized in the past for some of your choices. There have been threats made against you. How do you and your family sort of come together and, and work together and sort of talk about the risks you're taking versus what you as a family believe in and, and supporting your children in terms of the ideals you have. It'd be great if you could share some of that. Well, it's a very, very good question. I mean, I mean, like every family, we have the up and down and, uh, and, <laughs> and my kids 
wonder why do I do this sometime? And, but slowly, slowly they realize because I've been taking them to do charity since they were seven years old. And when I did the Quebec mosque, supporting uh, the funeral for the Quebec mosque and paying for fixing the, the, the mosque, uh, a lot of people called my wife and called me and called my children and texted them and said, why are you doing this? It's dangerous. Why are you getting involved? Those haters might come after you that you're supporting them. But at the end of the day, Duncan, there is one question in life. Why do we do everything we do in life? It's to be happy. How can you be happy, Duncan, if I was to do something that would make me lose myself? And seeing something wrong happening or unfair happening, it makes me lose myself if I stay silent. And when, when, when I was attacked in the mall, my children, by the haters, I went home and my wife looked at me and she said, and then what? Your kids are shivering. And then what? I said, I'll have to tell you, I love you and I love my kids, but I love Canada better for them to live in it in a better place. So if I'm bringing risk to all of you, I'm happy to step away, but I can't let go of that court case because my children will never respect me. But be more, beyond that, I'll never respect myself that I let those people get away with that because I'm sure they're going to get away with more to other people. And I said, you know, take some time. Think about it. I'm happy to do whatever it takes. And she came back full supporter and she agreed. And she said, I'm sorry because I was upset because of our children, what they went through. I reminded her of something I always said. Comfortable family, they die and live to get their kids and keep them grounded. I said, that experience is going to make our children ground. My son, Imad, <clears throat> finds ideas now. How can we support the community? They remind me, they text me. Hey, did you hear this story? And we donate to that family. I heard this happen. It's all about sticking to the value and principle. And having money in the bank is not happy. Happy is not losing yourself. Sticking to your principle. And work hard to make money because you know by making money, you can help more people. And that's my meaning. That's what makes me get up every morning. Mohammed, the pandemic has now gone on. Businesses have opened and closed over the last couple of years. We're just at the time of this recording, seeing Ontario start to open up again for people to go and share a meal together or see something, a performance together. As you've thought about sort of leading your organizations through this pandemic, what did, what did this pandemic sort of teach you about how you and your team work as leaders, how you support your people through it? And how do you see trying to help people now come out into this sort of next period of reopening? Well, I mean, look, I mean, during the pandemic was very tough time, really difficult for our industry. I've seen people that they started before me, that they were very struggling and they've given up on their business. I realized that we needed to be like a shark and like a goldfish a little bit. A shark that always move ahead, move forward, always forward. Think forward, always forward. You can't stop. And a goldfish, short-term memory. Don't live, I wish this didn't happen. Don't say that we used to live this way or that way. And I spread that word to everybody. 
I used to come out and say video to tell people, I know you're stressed. And I used to tell them the story when my dad held my hand coming out of a bunker and I looked at his face and we were there for three nights in the bunker, dark, stinky, no food, like the minimal. And he was smiling. And I used to tell that story to Canadian during the pandemic. And I used to say, he, he used to say to me, my dad, and say, I can't wait until I build more businesses and I hire more people. I say, dad, we just came out of a bunker. He'll say, you know what? Another day will always come. A great day will come and we'll greet it together. And I used to tell those stories and people used to listen to me and then they'll compare it that we're not in bunkers in Canada. And there is, we don't see people being killed in front of us with shotguns and bombs. We saw Canadian dying, but I'll tell you what else we saw. We saw the good people in our country. We saw the people that became essential all of a sudden and carried our country out of the pandemic. And those were not politicians. We saw an expected leader showing up that they deserved all along to be celebrated. We used to celebrate the, long, the wrong people. And I'm here to say to everybody, we do become what we celebrate. We need to celebrate the kinder. We need to celebrate the people that carried us during the COVID. And that's what I tell everybody. A better day will come to everyone. Just let's protect our country. Let's put people first. Let's treat well our staff. And let's understand after COVID that we do need to be kinder, including CEOs, definitely. The world demands the kinder capitalism. Crisis is a terrible thing to waste. If we were to learn anything from this pandemic, that we can do business, stay in business, but be kind to each other. Because our life depends on each other. Even the people that has a driver, if the driver has COVID, you're getting COVID. You're taking it to your family. Let's make sure we all have a fair health system that includes everyone, regardless of their bank account and the size of their wallet, regardless of their position, what they carry. There is a lot of work that we need to do on our politician. I'm not saying that the people that run for politics, right, are able to resolve all these issues, but we have a great companies and we have a great hearts. And if we came together, Canada could lead the world to a kind of capitalism. Well, and Mohammed, you've been really generous with your time in this conversation, and I thank you for that. And and I agree with you that through the pandemic, we've learned about people who are essential in ways that, you know, perhaps were unappreciated before. But it's also essential that we recognize the leaders that really inspire us in our society. And, you know, certainly I was thrilled in, your, in the recognition of you receiving an Order of Canada and very well deserved. I'm, as, you, as, you, as you learned of that recognition, I'm just curious for you and your family, what did that moment mean for all of you as a as a statement of, of appreciation of all the courage that you've shown? <laughs> to be honest, you know, I'm still processing it sometime. And, you know, it was so surprising when I got the call from the office of the governor general and so honored for the appointment. It's something that you don't expect. And I will say one thing. I mean, it's so important to me, most importantly, because you don't become successful on your own. It was an, it was, a recognition for my family, for my team, for the community that welcomed me, for every person that smiled to me and gave me an opportunity over the years by accepting me. And look, it's a great example. I just said we become what we celebrate. Every single day from when I got the Order of Canada, I felt like it wasn't only mine. 
it was an order for a lot of immigrants that they met me in the street and they told me how their parents were in tears hearing that I got it. Because my story is not unique. I represent the story of the immigrant and I represent the Canadian dream story. And that award was telling Canadian that the Canadian dream is alive. And it proved what's possible in Canada and how beautiful our country is and how generous and how limitless is the opportunity for anyone that comes to this country. You know, that's what I loved about the Order of Canada, is sending a message that our Canadian dream is alive and we should speak more of the Canadian dream. Well, again, Mohammed, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a wonderful conversation. Congratulations on the success you've enjoyed. And thank you for continuing to inspire so many of us of what it means to have courage in the way you do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And your questions were amazing. Thank you, Mohammed. These are challenging times for business leaders. Your dedication to community and country sets an example of courageous leadership for the rest of us to follow. I appreciate you talking to us and providing your thought-provoking perspectives about the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. This podcast is a production of The Walrus Lab. Thanks to our producer, Camille Hemming, and our team here at Deloitte. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and tune in to hear future episodes of courageous leaders sharing their perspectives on Courage Incorporated. Until then, be safe and act with courage. Our country needs you.